Thank you for taking time to listen to this Redemption Church sermon. Redemption Church exists to make authentic disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of our world. We want to help everyday people wake up to a deep, meaningful life in Christ. We pray this sermon will help. For more information about Redemption Church and for additional resources, please visit redemptionokc.com. Morning. Hope everyone had a good Christmas and New Year's. As Jeff said, it's really cold this morning, so good job getting out of bed and getting here. Um, this 2022 is shaping up to be a really exciting year in the life of our church, uh, Lord willing. By the end of this year, we'll no longer be setting up and tearing down here in a middle school, but we'll be moving into our permanent location that stays the same throughout the week and doesn't require several hours on Sunday mornings to set up and be right in the heart of our city. And uh, to that end, throughout the month of January, we're going to be in a short sermon series where we'll be talking about our vision for our church as we prepare to move uh, downtown. This week, we're going to start on a personal level, although as we'll see, that has church-wide ramifications as well. Then in the following weeks, Jeff is going to be uh, preaching on a more church-wide corporate church vision as we prepare to move downtown. Today is really about as foundational as it gets when it comes to being a follower of Jesus. Uh, if you've attended one of our Connect lunches at Redemption or gone through our membership process, then you've seen our mission map. Uh, we've got a picture of that we'll put up on the screen in just a minute. Uh, our mission map is our discipleship plan for our church. It's essentially our, our blueprint for achieving our mission as a church. It's what we want to see happen in the lives of uh, your lives as followers of Jesus. And it's also what uh, we hope as it happens in individual lives leads to the fulfilling of our mission and vision as a church. And so as we begin this new year, I just want to take a couple minutes and, and ask you to reflect this morning as we look at John 1 on your personal discipleship over the past year, uh, reflect on the highs and the lows, and then identify some areas for growth in the coming year. We're going to walk through our mission map through the lens of Jesus calling his disciples in John 1. And as we do, it should serve as a really good opportunity in this new year, the first Sunday of the year, to stop and ask ourselves, are we living these things out in our daily lives? And if we are, if all of us who call redemption our home church are living these things out in our lives, then we're going to fulfill the mission and vision of our church. It doesn't matter if we meet in a middle school or if we meet in this nice building downtown. It doesn't matter if we have five small groups or 50, if we've got a small budget or a huge budget. If we are doing these things, then people are going to be waking up to deep, meaningful life in Christ. Authentic followers of Jesus will be made. God will be glorified and good will be done in our city. In fact, we could have all those other things. We could have the nice building. We could have 50 small groups. We could have an endless budget. But if we're not living these things out in our lives, if the mission map isn't on display in our lives, then none of it would matter because we wouldn't fulfill our mission as a church. So if you were here in the month of December, we spent our Christmas series in 
Uh, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. And now we're just going to skip down a little bit to verse 35 and see what happens next in the story. You've got Jesus, who we saw was the word of God. He's the true light. He's God himself. He entered into the world as a baby at Christmas. And now we see what happens next. This grown-up Jesus is calling his disciples, and he's beginning his mission for the world. And so we're going to look at that mission today through the lens of our mission map. Let's jump in. Uh, Read with me, starting in John 1, uh, verse 35. It says, The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to him, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? So the first aspect of our mission map that we see in this story is that Jesus' followers believed the gospel. That's the first area on our mission map is that we believe the gospel. Uh, John the Baptist is with two of his own disciples and he sees Jesus walking by and he says, look, it's the Lamb of God. This is actually the second time John's told his disciples that Jesus is the Lamb of God. Back up in uh, verse 29, John says, behold, it's the Lamb of God. And there he gives a little bit more explanation for what he means. He says, this is the one who takes away the sin of the world. John doesn't say this is the guy with the nice hair, the cool sandals, or all the political power. He says, this is the one who's sent from God. He's the Lamb from God, and he's here to take away the sin of the world and they follow him. Now this term, lamb of God, is a really interesting term because it's easy to think of sacrifices when we hear that word lamb, and there's certainly an element of that here. John says that Jesus takes away the sin of the world, so Jesus is the sacrificial lamb who takes away our sin. But most scholars and commentators actually think there's a lot more to this term than just sacrifice. Uh, John really seems to be drawing on this tradition that was circulating in Judaism at the time about this apocalyptic lamb who would come and make all things right. There were several non uh, books that aren't in the Bible that were writing about this apocalyptic lamb. And by the time of Jesus, there was this tradition that this person, maybe he's the Messiah, maybe he's different, but he's going to be this lamb who will come and rescue Israel. He'll judge their enemies and he'll make all things right. And the book of Revelation, which is inspired scripture, picks up on this same theme. It, It also talks about Jesus as this apocalyptic lamb. I'll just read a couple verses and they'll be on the screen. Revelation 7, 17 says, For the lamb, of, the lamb in the midst of their throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Revelation 17, 14 says, They will make war on the lamb, and the lamb will conquer them. Revelation 12, 22 and 23 says, I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. And these are just a few of the references. So why is this significant? Why am I telling you all this? Well, the first reason is because when John tells his followers that Jesus is the Lamb of God, one thing that certainly means is that Jesus will take away their sin. But that's not all that it means. Jesus isn't merely a scapegoat who allows our sins to be forgiven, but he's also this apocalyptic warrior lamb who's coming to make war on his enemies and make all things right. 
Just those few references from Revelation show us that not only does Jesus offer forgiveness of sins, but he'll wipe every tear from our eyes. He'll conquer those who oppose him. He allows us to worship God without any intermediator like a priest. He, uh, in the new creation, when it, well, his presence will be so strong that we won't even have need for sun to give us light. And of course, these verses show us that Jesus is actually God himself. And this is the person that John is asking his disciples to follow, to believe in this Jesus. If the only thing Jesus did for us was offer forgiveness of sins, he would certainly be worthy of our worship, but that's not a fully formed view of Jesus. Jesus isn't just the the dying substitute for sinners. He's also the victorious warrior king who promises destruction for those who reject him and many blessings in this life and eternal perfect future life with him for those who receive him. There's more to believing in Jesus than just believing that he offers forgiveness of sins. I think that's one thing that this text highlights for us. Another thing that this title for Jesus means is that you don't have to perfectly understand everything about Jesus in order to follow him. It's very clear that at this point in the story, the people who are following Jesus don't know much about who Jesus is. They might think he's this apocalyptic warrior lamb who's coming. They might think he's the Messiah. They might think he's gonna take away their sin. I'm sure they think that he'll rescue Israel from her enemies, and if they thought that, they'd actually be wrong. They don't have a clear picture of who Jesus is, yet they know he's sent from God. They know he's worthy of them following him, and so they believe and they follow him. So I think that's helpful for us. If you are new to Christianity or maybe you're not a Christian or you you feel like an outsider at church because you don't know everything there is to know about Jesus, that's okay. Following Jesus isn't like performing brain surgery. If you're gonna perform brain surgery on someone, you better know everything there is to know about the brain and about how to perform that procedure that you're gonna perform. But following Jesus isn't like that. You don't have to know everything about who Jesus is and what he's come to do in order to follow him. Jesus invites us to receive him as we are right now with what we currently know about him and to learn more and more about him as we follow him throughout our lives. One more thing on this uh, believe section before we move on. I love what Jesus asks John disciples in verse 38. He says, what are you seeking? And they don't even answer the question. They, they deflect. They ask Jesus where he's staying. But I think this is a significant point here in the story because Jesus shows us something that's true about all human beings. We're all seeking something. We're all seeking things like happiness, success, getting married, having kids, advancing in our careers. And you could look at it another way and follow the pattern of the mission map and say that we're all believers. We may or may not believe that Jesus is Lord, but we all believe something. We have these beliefs that govern the way we live our lives. We believe that God ought to be in charge of our lives or that we ought to be in charge of our lives. We believe that getting married and having kids is the way to happiness or that's the way to unhappiness or that we can be content with either path. We all have these beliefs about our lives and our world and most of the time, These are just subconscious beliefs that we don't even stop to examine and consider whether they're really worth believing. And I think that's part of the reason why Jesus asked this question. What are you seeking? He wants these disciples of John to stop and pause and consider what do they want out of following Jesus? What what are they looking for? What are they after? What do they want in life? 
So often we think of uh, the stories of Jesus calling his followers where he tells them, follow me, and they just get up and follow him. And that happens later in John chapter one, but right here it's different. Right here, Jesus wants them to pause. He wants them to think about their beliefs. What do they want? What do they believe? Is, is Jesus even worth following? Following Jesus isn't meant to be done blindly or without thinking, and not following Jesus shouldn't be done blindly or without thinking either. Of course, it takes faith to believe that Jesus died for our sins, that Jesus is the Son of God, but that doesn't mean that we can't use our minds to look at the evidence and consider whether or not Jesus is worth following all at the same time. I think we should be asking questions like, is Jesus who he says he is? Has Jesus really taken away my sin and made a way for me to know God? Is Jesus worthy of my belief? And then if those things are true, that leads to the next question of, what does that mean for my life? If this is true, how should I live? In our membership workbook, we, we talk about believing the gospel both in salvation, which means to believe that Jesus died for our sins, but also to believe the gospel in worship, to live a life that reflects our beliefs. And why I think that's significant is because to really believe that Jesus died for your sins is also to live a life of worship in response to what he's done for you. The Christian life without worship doesn't make any sense. And by worship, I, I don't mean musical worship that we do here on Sunday mornings. I mean uh, seeking to glorify God with our entire lives. Believing that Jesus died for our sins and reconciled us to the Father should lead to believing that he's Lord over everything in our lives. We'll come back to that in just a minute, but, but for now, let's believe in this new year by believing the gospel and also by responding in worship. The second part of our mission map that we see in John 1 is belong. Uh, I'll, I'll start reading again in verse 38. It says, Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. So he first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. So when the disciples first see Jesus, they meet him, they choose to follow him. Jesus invites them to stay with him immediately and they would spend pretty much every day with him for the next three years. Jesus didn't just tell them who he was and what he came to do and then send them away to tell everyone. They became like a family to Jesus and they lived life with him for three years. And I don't wanna press this comparison too far. I know Jesus and, the, and his disciples are not a one-to-one -one comparison with the church or anything like that, but I do think we can learn something from the way Jesus interacted with people. Surely if Jesus is God himself and he lived a perfect life here on earth, then his life is an example for us to follow. And one thing that we certainly see when it comes to how Jesus lived his life with his disciples is that they belonged to one another in a close community. Jesus' disciples lived with him, they traveled with him, they learned from him, they ate with him, they prayed with him. They spent many hours doing things that aren't recorded in the gospels. And if Jesus gives us a picture of the good life, then one thing the good life certainly involves is living in community with other followers of Jesus. We even see a picture of that when Jesus sends his disciples out. He does it in groups of two. 
He doesn't send any lone ranger disciples of Jesus. Here at Redemption, we, we believe that living life in community, just like Jesus and his disciples did, is a key part of being a healthy follower of Jesus. And so that's why we have small groups where you can be a part of a smaller group of people who know you and you can know others on a deeper level. We want you to be known and to know others and to belong. I hope you feel a sense of belonging when you come here on Sunday mornings, but uh, the reality is that it's hard to achieve that objective when it's a larger group of people. It's only one hour a week, and uh, honestly, as we moved into a new building, we have multiple services, it'll be even harder to belong without being a part of a smaller group of people where you can really belong. So I would just invite you, if you're not in a small group already, to join one this year. Our groups are taking a break for the holidays, but they'll be starting back up in February, and we would love to have you jump into one of those. We'll have sign-ups coming out in the next couple of weeks, and um, if you want help finding a group, you can uh, shoot me an email or find me on a Sunday morning. I would love to help get you plugged in um, to the, a group that would fit well for you. Another way to belong as a follower of Jesus is to serve. Jesus' disciples didn't just hang out and talk about theology. They weren't just this exclusive club. They went out and they did things. They supported Jesus in his earthly ministry and uh, they served others themselves. We've got the beautiful picture of Jesus washing their feet in the ultimate act of service. And then he turns around and tells them, now go wash others' feet as well. So belonging for the Christian means this belonging in community, but it also means belonging by serving in that community. And so that's why, in addition to small groups, we have serve teams here at Redemption. Uh, we don't just have serve teams because we need your help having church on Sunday morning, although that's true. We can't do church without you, but even if we could, we would still have serve teams because the heart of our serve teams is not help us do church. It's come grow as a follower of Jesus. Being a part of a serve team is about discipleship. As we serve the church, God is glorified and hopefully our faith is deepened as well. So if you're not currently serving on a serve team, then let me just invite you to join one of those this year. Uh, we've got specific openings, um, serving in our nursery, watching little kids while mom and dad come to church, and also on our uh, live stream hosts. We wanna expand those capabilities to be able to have a host on our live stream as well. We always need help on setup and teardown, so if you like working with your hands, that's a great place for you to jump in as well. If you'd like to sign up for a serve team, there's uh, ways to do that on the website, or you can reach out to Audra by email or on a Sunday morning and let her know that you wanna serve and she would love to get you plugged in. It's our hope that everyone who calls Redemption their church home would belong in a community by participating in a small group, would also belong in serving by joining a serve team. That leads to the third part of our mission map, which is grow. Uh, look with me at, the, at verse 42. It says, he brought him to Jesus. So Andrew brought Simon Peter to Jesus and Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. Now you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So it's just this, this one little interesting verse where Simon's brother, um, Andrew, finds him. He brings him to Jesus. He says, we've found the Messiah. And right when Jesus meets Simon, he changes his name to Peter. And we don't really know why. There, there's no further explanation given other than he changes his name to Cephas, and that means Peter. But what we can assume is that 
a, a radical transformation is taking place in Peter's lives, in Peter's life. There's no other reason that someone changes their name. There's a couple of uh, ways people might change their name today. One is if you get married. Uh, my sister's getting married this afternoon, so in a couple of hours, her last name will no longer be Ifland, it will be Siner. There's a major change that's happening in her life. Sometimes people who immigrate to the United States might change their, their first name or their last name or maybe both to something that's easier to pronounce in English. And both of those events, getting married or immigrating to a new country, are major shifts in a person's life. And I think when Jesus changes Simon's name to Peter, it's signaling this same type of shift. Peter, from this moment on, went from being an ordinary, uneducated fisherman to one of Jesus' closest disciples who would help spread Christianity all over the known world, would write two New Testament books and would never be forgotten. He went from someone who would be forgotten shortly after his death to someone still remembered 2,000 years later, all because of this total transformation that happened in his life when Jesus changes his name from Simon to Peter. And the same type of transformation that happened in Peter's life ought to be the case in our lives as well. No one can meet the God of the universe in a personal way and be left unchanged. And of course, we don't get to see Jesus face to face right now like Peter did, but uh, we still have this personal relationship with God. We spent uh, the fall in a sermon series in, on, on the Holy Spirit. And what we saw back then was that we do have a personal relationship with the God of the universe by his spirit. And if we've authentically, personally encountered a holy God by his spirit, if we have true belief, that ought to lead to transformation in our lives. I love how uh, J.C. Ryle puts it. He says, to be born again is, as it were, to enter upon a new existence, to have a new mind, a new heart, new views, new principles, new tastes, new affections, new likings, new dislikings, new fears, new joys, new sorrows, new love to things once hated, new hatred to things once loved, new thoughts of God and ourselves and the world and the life to come and salvation. Are your views, principles, likings, dislikings, joys, and fears different because you're a Christian? Or if Jesus and Christianity were removed from your life, would nothing actually look any different? Following Jesus ought to lead to radical transformation in our lives. For some people, this is really obvious. I'm sure you know people like this. Um, one of our pastors in North Carolina was previously a drug addict. He was covered with tattoos, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with tattoos, but these were not Christian-friendly tattoos. And he met Jesus in the hospital getting his stomach pumped after an overdose, and from that moment forward, his life was radically different. Now, most of us, myself included, don't have transformation stories like that, but that doesn't mean that following Jesus doesn't lead to transformation. Because following Jesus doesn't just transform our outward, blatantly, obviously sinful behavior like drug addiction. It also transforms our political views. It transforms how we spend our time and who we spend our time with. It transforms what brings us joy. It transforms what brings us sorrow. But even if your life wasn't falling apart when you became a Christian or if you became a Christian from a really young age, I think it's worth asking the question, if Jesus was removed from your life, would your life look different? than it does right now. 
Now here's the good news for all of us. Jesus changed Peter's name and signaled this total transformation in, in his life, but the transformation was not immediately successful or complete. All throughout the Gospels, we see Peter failing to live up to this new name. Peter is constantly confused about Jesus' teaching. He argues about which disciple's the greatest. He tries to walk on water and sinks because of his lack of faith. He doesn't let Jesus wash his feet. He falls asleep in the garden when Jesus asks him to stay awake and pray. And he denies knowing Jesus three times after Jesus is arrested. And yet, in, in one of the last scenes in John's gospel, this famously powerful scene where Jesus asks Peter three times, do you love me? And Peter responds three times and says, yes, Lord, I love you. You know I do. And Jesus restores Peter as a disciple. He tells him to go feed his sheep, to be a pastor and a leader of this new church that Jesus is building. There was this initial transformation when Peter met Jesus, but practically, that transformation took time. And it wasn't even complete after this restoration. No transformation of Christ's followers is complete this side of eternity. And that's why grow is part of our mission map as a church. Following Jesus means growing more and more like him day by day and year by year. None of us have arrived as followers of Jesus. We all have room to grow and we all ought to make it a priority in our lives. To help to, to this end, we've put together a tool called the Yearly Discipleship Plan. Uh, this is just a simple tool that's on our website in print or digital form. We've also got some copies on the bistro tables over here if you want to pick one up on the way out. And we developed this last year um, just as a way to, to look back on your walk with the Lord in 2021 and identify areas of growth, things to celebrate, and then also look forward for 2022 and identify areas where you can continue to grow. Uh, many of us reflect and make changes in January for different areas in our lives, and our spiritual life ought to be uh, one of those areas as well. So take some time in January and prayerfully work through this yearly discipleship plan. Let's look now at the last section of our mission map, which is go. Uh, John 1, 43 through 46 says, the, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. So back in verse 39, Jesus is talking to John's disciples and he says, come and you will see. Verse 43, Jesus is talking to Philip. He says, follow me. And then verse 46, Philip turns around and is talking to Nathaniel. And he also says, come and see. Shortly after seeing Jesus for himself and meeting him, Philip turns right around and invites others to come see him as well. Philip knew that he had found the one the entire Old Testament had been pointing to, the one that Israel had been waiting for for thousands of years, and there was no way that he was going to keep that news to himself. He had to tell others out of an overflow of meeting Jesus and invite them to come see him as well. And part of our discipleship is doing the same thing. 
If we believe that Jesus is God, that he offers us forgiveness of sins and a way back to the Father, if he allows us to know God, if he offers us a future of perfect peace and joy with him that's unaffected by worldly circumstances, if he gives us a new family and a new purpose, how could we keep that news to ourselves? It's the best news that anyone could ever hear and the natural response is to do what Philip did, is to go to our families, our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our schools, and our city and say, come and see this Jesus. I love how simple the statement is from Philip, but, but also how significant it is. Philip doesn't spend a lot of time saying who Jesus is and why he thinks Nathaniel should follow him. Nathaniel says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip just says, come see, come see. And I think that this is instructive for us because our going, this, this section of the mission map is called go because we go, but oftentimes our going looks more like what Philip's doing here, come and see. There's a, a time and place for well-reasoned arguments and explanations about who Jesus is, and, and I love arguments and explanations, but most often what people need to see is our faith in action. Most people today don't care whether or not what we have to say about Jesus is true. They want to know, does it work? And the way that we show them it works is by inviting them to come and to see. It starts by living lives of worship to God that, that results in something to even see. Uh, it starts by living these lives that look different from the world, that look like peace in the midst of chaos, joy in the midst of sorrow, love and service in the midst of a world of self. People need to see Christians living lives this way that look differently from the rest of the world or else they're not going to see anything that's even worth giving their lives to, no matter what we tell them. As we live this way, we invite them not to come see the way we live, but to come see Jesus. Of course, this means we have to spend time with people who don't know Jesus, whether it's family members or friends, neighbors, uh, co-workers, baristas, waiters or waitresses out in the city. And then as we do, as we're inviting them into our lives, they're learning about us, we're learning about them, we're spending time with them, we're just making friends and getting to know people. And that opens up opportunities to tell them about Jesus and why we live life differently. Sometimes other people open that door for us by asking us why we do certain things or why we don't do certain things. But more often than not, we have to take the step of initiating that conversation. But even that doesn't have to be hard can be as simple as inviting someone to church or inviting them to your small group or maybe inviting them to a men's or women's retreat that we'll have this spring. Maybe there's an opportunity in, in a conversation to ask a simple question like, do, do you go to church anywhere? Or a, a deeper question like, uh, what do you, what, what are you place your hope in in life? What do you want out of life? These things really come pretty naturally with people that you're friends with and spend time with. It's appropriate that we call this section on the mission map go because it requires intentionality to go to our city with the message of Jesus. But there's also this element of, and the simplicity of come and see. As we invite people into our lives and live our Christian life set apart from the world, they see a difference and then we have an opportunity to tell them why. Another aspect of going is that we simply live as a life-giving presence in our city. 
We're going to be talking a lot more about this in the coming weeks, but just what I want to say here is that we want to go with the message of salvation to those who don't know Jesus, but we also want to go be a life-giving presence in our city, whether or not people come to faith in Christ or not. We want to be salt and light in our city and our world. Uh, Christians should be those who make every place that they're in better. Our families, our workplaces, our schools, and our city should be better because we are in them. We should be the sources of encouragement and compassion, support and joy. We should be the ones caring for relatives and hosting block parties and giving gifts to coworkers and putting on community events. Every circle of our lives should be better because it has a Christian in it. Like I said, we're going to be talking a lot more about that in the coming weeks, so I hope you'll join us then. That's our mission map. Uh, that, that, that's the mission map of our church seen through the lens of John 1. And hopefully you can see that we didn't just pick four words and make up this plan. Uh, this plan is rooted all throughout the scriptures. If you've gone through our membership process, you'll see um, the many scriptures we give you to show you that this is our plan for our church. And if you're not a member here, we would love to invite you into that process. We'll be having our next membership workshop in March, and we would love to have you uh, become a member here at Redemption. This is our plan for our lives and for our church because we believe it's God's plan. Our church mission statement is to make authentic followers of Jesus who live for the glory of God and the good of our world. Our vision statement is to see everyday people wake up to deep, meaningful life in Christ. And this is how we get there. We want everyone in our church to believe the gospel, to belong in community, to grow as a disciple and to go make a difference. And if we get this right, everything else will follow. But as I said earlier, it's not just about our church mission, of course. It's, it's a blueprint for individual lives as well. Believing the gospel, belonging in community, growing as a disciple, and going and making a difference is the path that Jesus laid out for human flourishing. It's not the easiest path in life. It's not the path of least resistance. It's not the least costly path. It's not the best path to worldly riches or success. But it's the path that Jesus said is the path to knowing God and being satisfied in him. I also just wanna say that our mission map is intentionally circular. You can see how uh, it, it's a circle because these things aren't meant to be done in order necessarily. So if you've identified uh, that you want to grow as a disciple in this following year, for example, then you're gonna to need to press into believing the gospel. You're, you're gonna to need to examine how am I belonging in community and am I going and making a difference in our world? All these things are interconnected. If you wanna believe the gospel more fully in your life, then you might need to look at, uh, am I belonging? Am I seeking to grow? Am I going? All of these things are connected and represent a fully formed picture of a disciple of Jesus. So as we begin a new year, would you join me in taking some time to reflect on your personal discipleship? Would you take some time and work through our yearly discipleship plan and celebrate areas of growth in the past year and identify areas to grow in 2022? Would you join us uh, throughout the month of January as we continue to unpack our vision, not just for you personally, but for our church in this new year and in this next season as we look to move downtown? Let me pray for us. Father, thank you that all of life is grace. Uh, Lord, we don't 
seek to live out these things on a, a mission map that we put together to earn salvation or to earn your favor or anything like that, Father. We want to do these things in response to what you have already done in our lives. Father, thank you that you've made a way for us to know you. Thank you that you've given us a new future and a new family and new hopes and, and dreams and joys. We just so grateful for Jesus. We ask that you would make us faithful to walk with him in this new year. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.